Last week, we started our series on vision and values. We looked at the vision of our church, Calvary, here in Bergenfield, how our vision is to be a church that connects the disconnected to the Lord. We were in 2 Corinthians, and we saw how Christ is the one that enables, enabled this vision, for he is the one that does the connecting. He is the one who, through his work on the cross and through our faith, the faith that he has given us, he reunites us with God. And, and further, how we as Christians have been called to be ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us to connect the disconnected to him. This week, we are moving into our core values at Calvary. We have three. The two that we will be focusing on in the coming weeks are focus on the feet and commitment to community, but today we'll be looking at our first value, which is standing on the stone, or stand on the stone. Our text this morning is one of many that we could have based this value off of, but today we'll be looking at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Acts 4, 1 to 12. Before we read the passage, we just need a little bit of context. There's, there's a little bit that takes place before the passage we need to get through. It's, it's just some of the history. In the previous chapter, we read that Peter and John were on their way to pray at the temple when they ran into a man who had been lame, been unable to walk from birth. He called out to them, begging them for money, and, and Peter engaged the man in conversation, saying, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk And taking the man by the hand, Peter helped him to his feet, and this man, who had never before been able to stand on his own, began walking. Now this, understandably, drew a crowd, for this lame man was a beggar, and here he had been healed. And so Peter began to preach about how the man had been healed by the power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But the church leaders were not, they're not excited about this. They had just had Jesus killed, after all. They certainly didn't want him, to be, they didn't want him uh, to be receiving this kind of attention. And so they had Peter and John arrested. Our text this morning picks up with what happened the next day. So Peter and John have spent the night in jail in like the temple prisons. They had prisons. Uh, I hear, uh, got a bunch of Giants fans I'm assuming here. I know we have at least one Eagles fan. I don't know if it's actually true or not, but I hear they have a prison in like the basement of the Eagles like stadium so that if you get like I don't know if you're a typical Eagles fan maybe I don't know maybe that's me thing to say but if you're an Eagles fan and you get like do some misdemeanor you can be arrested and jailed at the game you don't have to make it home they've got to bring you can back in the day they had prisons in the temples like they had these things all right you're being bad oh we're just gonna lock you up here we don't have that at Calvary, just like if anyone's one. We don't have like a prison or anything in the basement where we're going to be locking anybody up. But they did, and so Peter and John spent the night in this prison, and now they're brought before the leaders. And that is where our text picks up this morning in Acts chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 to 12. We read the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, you are welcome to read along. Other than that, it's going to be up here on the screen behind me. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail the next day. Sorry, now this is where that was. Ah, I got in a little bit. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, everybody know this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. A few weeks ago, our communities up here in northern New Jersey, not all of them, but many of them, had the remnants of Hurricane Ida overhead, and they just dumped us with rain. Like, I got dish, or like, like uh, DirecTV, this isn't an ad or anything for them, they're kind of miserable, I have them for football, but I have DirecTV, I couldn't watch nothing, it's just, we're trying to watch the weather channel to figure out what's going on, no, there's so much rain, you couldn't see anything. And as I watched the, so then I had to, you know, look outside and we're watching like the river run down my street outside from this rain and I'd go on to social media and I saw videos of, of water rising up past porches. I heard reports of people having five feet or more of water in their basement and I saw cars being swept down the streets. A flood is a destructive force of nature. People are still putting their lives back together from the after effects of Ida. Some lost their lives due to the storm. As I was pondering our text this morning and the flooding that we recently experienced, I was once again reminded of the children's song about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. It's a throwback, but a song, the song is about a, a foolish man, starts with a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains came down and the floods came up, and the rains came down and the floods came up. And the rains came down, and the floods came up, and the house on the sand went splat. That was always like my favorite part of the song, because as a kid, you know, we got to slap our hands together, make a bunch of noise, make a funny face, say splat. It was just, it was fun. I liked it. It's not nearly as fun when you realize the true and total destruction that a flood can bring. In the same way that a natural disaster can wash away or ruin houses, cars, possessions, and lives, we know that hardships, tough times, struggles in life can wash away or ruin our spiritual and personal lives. When that big thing was outside of our control goes wrong, right? That, that large thing, we don't have control over it. When that bubble pops, when that thing bursts, how are we going to deal with it? The stock market crashes. The cancer diagnosis comes in. The person who is your rock passes away, is taken from us, suddenly, unexpectedly. Our friends move away. We get laid off. I don't know what it is, but in a world as broken as ours is, the possibilities are endless. 
We build our lives as best we can. But sometimes hardships come. And how? How will we deal with them? If our houses are built on sand, if they are built on culture, or the foundations of this very broken world, we will be left to sink deeper into the culture, deeper into the brokenness. For the shifting, changing, and ultimately unstable foundations that this broken world builds upon do nothing to protect us, but instead lead to, and even participate in, the destruction of our lives, physical, mental, and spiritual. How thankful I am that this song doesn't end with a foolish man building his house and the house going splat. No, the song continues with the wise man who builds his house on the rock, who builds his house on the stone. And the rains came down and the floods came up. And the rains came down and the floods came up. And the rains came down and the floods came up. But the house on the stone stood firm. The stone, as the children's song would go on to tell us, and as our text this morning so clearly states, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. The stone that the builders rejected, as Dolores read for us this morning, quoting from, or read from Psalm 118.22. And Jesus was rejected, wasn't he? Jesus on earth was perfection in human form. He was gracious, kind to those who were unused to receiving kindness, loving towards those who were unused to being loved. He, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't sin against man or against the Lord. He loved well. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He was a shining example of all that God wants each and every one of us to be. And people hated him for it. They rejected him. They didn't like how his perfection pointed out their flaws and failings. They didn't like how he was toppling systems that had been in place for generations, systems that benefited them, but not those who needed it most. And he was doing all of this by knowing and understanding the scriptures better than they did. The powerful loathed and envied him. And so this perfect man, the Son of God, became the man of sorrows as he was betrayed, tried, and sentenced to death. And so despite his innocence, he carried a cross, a cursed tree, up the hill to Calvary. And there Jesus was nailed to it. And on that cross, Jesus became sin for us. He who had never sinned became sin for the sinful. And there, with all of our flaws and failings heaped upon him, Jesus died. He paid the price for our sin in our place. But Jesus did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And in his rising, he defeated sin and death. And he reconciled those who believe in him to God. The Bible tells us that when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we are baptized into Christ, we are given faith. And that when we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, that we are forgiven on account of what Jesus has done for us. And furthermore, we are told that because of our faith in Jesus, the faith that has been given to us, our sinful rags are taken from us and we are clothed with Jesus Christ. So when God looks at us, he no longer sees the sinful wretches that we are, but he sees the righteousness of his Son. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. It is on him that our relationship with God is built. He is the foundational stone upon which the Christian life and the church is built. He is unshakable. 
His work on the cross cannot be undone. It doesn't shift. It won't change. It doesn't budge. It doesn't lead to destruction, but to life. It is the promise that we can rest in, trust in, that we put our faith in, and he is the one that will keep his promises. He will never let us down. Though hard times come, though the winds blow ferocious and the seas roar, the stone will not give way. It will not move. It will not be shaken. And we stand on the stone. So what happens when the house on the stone falls apart? Sometimes the devastating things happen. Sometimes the diagnosis isn't what we want to hear. Again, sometimes we get the pink slip. Sometimes we get abandoned. Sometimes we get hurt or abused. Christians who have built their lives on the rock of Jesus Christ are not left untouched by the brokenness of the world. Well, as the children's song says, we are the ones building the house and being broken sinners. Even if we're fantastic builders, our houses will be suspect and have weaknesses. Our house here in Bergenfield is, is, is in a pretty good spot. We aren't at the top of a hill or anything. We aren't at the bottom either. Typically, we don't get water into our basement, but with Ida, we did. The bedroom that our boys sleep in just wouldn't dry. We had fans going, but soon a smell began to develop, and, and we didn't feel like we could have our children sleeping down there anymore. We may not have gotten inches of water, but we got enough that we had to pull everything out of the room and, and remove the carpet. The pad underneath was soaking wet. We tried to pick it up, and water just poured out of it like a waterfall, gushing all over the floor. Now some friends brought over a dehumidifier. We opened the windows, turned on the fans in an effort to dry out the room, and it's dry now. But when we had a professional come in to assess the damage, he pointed out that we would need some pretty serious work down there because we have a black mold problem in the room. Black mold isn't something that you die from right away. It's something that slowly affects you over time. Continued exposure leads to chronic coughing and sneezing, irritation in the eyes, congestion in your throat, chronic fatigue, rashes, and persistent headaches. Eventually, it poisons you. Some of these symptoms can be blamed on a variety of different things in the world around us, right? Allergies, the colds given to us by somebody else, late nights, early mornings, a bad immune system. But the reality is that what's truly wrecking us is the mess that we live in and have ignored. Hurricane Ida didn't give us the mold. But the water in the carpet festering in the room for days made a problem that was already present worse and impossible to ignore. Floods don't have to take your house to do damage to your life. The destructive waters can seep in, and they can give life to old problems that you thought were gone or that you had been ignoring or that hadn't seemed like as big a deal before, problems that you thought you could handle. And again, what's true in the physical is true in the spiritual and personal as well. Hardship strikes, and while everything may look like it's okay from the outside, on the inside we're shook. We try to figure out how to deal with the rot that is taking place in our basements. 
to deal with the hardships that we are facing. Maybe we turn to the temptations that we had sworn off, said we'd never do again. Maybe we get temperamental and angry, lashing out at at people for no reason other than they are close, and we need someone to feel a bit of the pain that we are harboring inside. Maybe we run. Maybe we hide. Maybe we scream. Maybe we cry. Maybe our loneliness is emphasized, and depression and anxiety begin to take the wheel that we thought we had such a good hold on. I don't know how you are affected by floods, the storms of life. I don't know how you respond when the waters seep in and stir up those old, those deep hurts. What I do know is that even though we have built an admittedly faulty house, a sinful life on the stone of Jesus Christ, The desperations of my current hardship can sometimes overshadow the reality of the safety that I have in the stone. I get so busy being affected by the mold growing in my basement and watching the storms rage outside that I'm susceptible to forgetting where my house is built. That I don't need to worry. That I don't need to fear that I am safe in his arms, that the rock on which my house is built will not shift and dump me off. How are you doing with that? Do you ever get distracted by the brokenness of our world, the brokenness of your life, and forget the strength of the stone of Christ? Recently, I've been listening to a podcast done by Christianity Today titled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's primarily about a pastor and a church that rose to spectacular heights, but like Icarus, experienced a sudden and destructive fall. And while the church at Mars Hill is the primary focus, the podcast has done a fantastic job of pointing an insightful and alarming lens at a few major issues in evangelicalism, including the celebrity pastor culture that has taken American evangelicals by storm over the past few decades. I encourage any of you to listen to it and to be challenged by it. It has certainly been a blessing to me. I bring it up because I'm going to quote a portion of a recent episode. In the episode, Mike Cosper, the host and investigative mind behind the podcast, is talking about how the church at Mars Hill lost its way, how they were caught up in the vision, how they viewed a man or, or the vision of a man, this, this guy's vision, Mark uh, Driscoll's vision, of a man who wasn't what he said he was and how it would have been helpful to be grounded in something outside, something deeper, something more communal than one man's vision. And here are his words. There is a story about a young boy who went up to his pastor after service and asked, how come every week when you finish reading the Bible you say the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever? The pastor smiled and said, That's why. That's exactly why. Point being, the liturgy of the church had given the kid the language of faith. By repeating that affirmation week after week after week in the church service, he now had a reference point in his memory for how to think about the scriptures. And much of the history of Christian worship is premised on this idea, Mike continues. That the church gathers to rehearse the truths of the gospel and a vision of the kingdom of God by repeating the words of the liturgy. 
praying the Lord's Prayer, celebrating at the Lord's table, confessing the Apostles' Creed, singing psalms and hymns. It's by virtue of that repetition that the work of the gathered church stays with us. And when a moment of hardship strikes and our own words fail, these words are at the ready. I told the story last year of how I was waking in the night with panic attacks. And I couldn't, I couldn't get back to sleep, overcome with fear and anxiety. And I would wake Karen and, and ask her to pray for me. And as she would pray, words from a song that we sing in church would fill my head. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, that is who you are. That is who you are. Over and over I sang those lines as my wife prayed and I eventually would fall back asleep. The songs we sing, the words we confess, the prayers we pray, the table that we visit, these are the fundamentals of the faith that keep calling us back to remember the stone that our lives are built upon. And we do them weekly so that when the hardship hits, we have the words to pray, the words to sing, and the words to confess. And as Mike Cosper notes, these common confessionals, these fundamentals of the faith, connect a Christian not only with the body of Christ around them, but with the global church who shares those words throughout time and space. It's a comfort to know that the words the Christian church in Afghanistan relied on as they were persecuted and the words that the persecuted church has relied on for generations, the words Christians in hardship have relied on, are the same words that you and I can rely on. And we have unity in those words, those confessions, those prayers, those psalms, for we have unity in the stone upon which we stand. You are not alone. You are not the only one who struggles and God knows that you will struggle. That black mold that's growing in your basement, if you have confessed your needs and are resting in the finished work of Christ on the cross, you've been forgiven for that. And if you're like me, you are helpless to get it cleaned up. And so yeah, he helps with that too. I have a church that cares about me, an insurance policy and professionals who will make sure that the issue is dealt with in my house. But for the black mold in our lives, God is the one who does the cleansing. He is the one that enables us and empowers us to deal with the sin in our lives. And while my basement will get cleaned up in a pretty timely manner, the cleaning of our lives will not fully be finished until we realize the promises of Revelation 21, where we read that God will make all things new. Man, am I excited for that day. That's going to be a good day. But as we wait for that day, we rest in what has been given us. We rest in what calls us back to him. God has given us the Lord's Prayer. He has given us the Lord's Supper, given us confession, forgiveness. He has given us all that we confess in the Apostles' Creed. He has given us the psalms to sing and the songs of faith. So that when in our sinfulness we forget, we have words and truths to fall back on so that we may be reminded of the stone that we are standing on. Here at Calvary, we stand on the stone. 
We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, for salvation is found in no one else. And we confess the fundamentals of the faith so that when our failings rise, we may be reminded of the stone on which we stand, the stone that will never be overcome. What a fantastic, gracious, loving, and powerful God we serve. Amen.